The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord makes a thing about firstborn sons and lambs. The very first firstborn son doesn't turn out so well. Adam and Eve have high hopes for their son named Cain, but he murders Abel, his brother, because God is pleased with his little brother. The firstborn son sheds the blood of the first shepherd because he has made a pleasing sacrifice, ostensibly of a lamb. And in doing so, Cain demonstrates the terrible reality of original sin and the need for redemption. After that, 
God uses firstborn sons to proclaim that he does redeem. Abraham waits for 99 years before he and Sarah welcome Isaac. And it is a heartbreaking day years later when God commands Abraham to sacrifice his only son to him. Abraham obeys, but at the last minute, when the knife is raised over Isaac, the firstborn on the altar... The Lord intervenes and provides a lamb, a big lamb. A ram has caught its horns in a thicket, and it dies in the place of Isaac. Fast forward from Genesis to Exodus, and you find Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, to be slaves in Egypt. They are powerless and worked to death, but God sends Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. When Pharaoh refuses, the Lord afflicts the land with a series of plagues. The final plague? It's the death of the firstborn. On a certain night, the Lord himself will come through the land and take the life of every firstborn male, man, and beast throughout the land. However, he provides redemption once again. Per his command, the Israelites are to sacrifice a lamb, paint their doorways with its blood, and then the Lord passes over those homes and spares the firstborn sons inside. Even as he commands the Passover, the Lord calls dibs on all firstborn males. He declares in Exodus 13 that since he saves their firstborn sons in Egypt, the Israelites will sacrifice every male animal that opens the womb from their herds. The first male sheep and the first male ox is an offering to the Lord. As far as donkeys go, well, they're helpful beasts of burden, and so God gives the Israelites a choice. They can either kill the donkey, or they can redeem it by sacrificing a lamb. Now, of course, sons are even more precious than donkeys, and so the Lord doesn't give them a choice. They are to redeem their firstborn sons by offering a lamb in their place. Throughout the history of Israel, then, the law is remembered whenever a son opens the womb. The firstborn male belongs to God, and he is to be redeemed by the parents with a sacrifice. Well, Forty days after angels sing to shepherds outside of Bethlehem, a young couple arrives at the temple to fulfill that law and to redeem the firstborn male. As far as this law goes, it's an unprecedented legal situation. I mean, it's stunning if you look at the big picture. God can certainly call dibs on this son who has opened the womb because, well, this boy is his only begotten son from eternity. Meanwhile, Mary and Joseph are confessing by this act, our son is really your son, but we're going to redeem him so that your son is our son. Furthermore, even though they know that this child is holy and sinless, not to mention omnipotent and eternal, Mary and Joseph are going to follow the rules like he's a normal kid anyway. If any child is above the law, it's this one. But God declares Jesus 
his son to be born under the law too. But here's the kicker. If you think back to Abraham and Isaac, the Passover lamb and the law of the son who opens the womb, the message is that God will spare the life of the son because of a sacrifice. The son is redeemed because a lamb dies. But even though Mary and Joseph offer that sacrifice to redeem Jesus, God will not spare his own son when he is marched to Calvary. There, the son will be the lamb, sacrificed to redeem the world. Oddly enough, we can say that Mary and Joseph redeemed Jesus so that he can redeem you. We have to be a little careful, though. It's not like Mary and Joseph are saving Jesus. They're performing an act of redemption for a son who doesn't need to be redeemed. So this act is for you because Jesus is fulfilling the law for you. Even when he's 40 days old, Jesus is hard at work to keep the law for you because you're so bad at keeping the law for yourself. He submits to it all and perfectly obeys his Father in heaven. Then he gives you the credit for his holiness, his perfect obedience, and takes your place for God's wrath at the cross. There, God is not requiring Jesus' blood for Jesus' sins. He requires it for your sins so that you might be spared. It's all unfolding for those who want to see when this couple carries their baby into the temple on the 40th day of his life. Simeon sees, by the grace of God, he's a righteous and devout man. We assume he's old, but we really don't know. What we do know is that he's been told by the Holy Spirit that he will live to see the Lord's Christ. He is moved to the temple that day, and in the hectic hustle-bustle of all that's happening at the temple, by faith he approaches a poor-looking couple, takes their infant in his arms, and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. We might pause and note a little tidbit before we move on. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon holds the Son while he blesses the Father. The Trinity is at work for your salvation at the temple that day. Even so, the focus is upon the Son, the infant in Simeon's arms. As I've said a time or two before, I always wonder where Simeon is looking when he utters his prayer that begins, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. It's totally kosher if he's looking up to the heavens when he prays. It's also appropriate if he looks toward the temple and the most holy place, the room reserved for God to dwell with his people on earth. But here's the thing. 
it is also entirely proper for Simeon to look into the face of the child in his arms and call him Lord. Some would call it blasphemy, but it's anything but. Don't drop this wonder just because the manger is in the rearview mirror for another 11 months. God has become flesh to be your savior, and Simeon is holding God in his arms. Now, I have had the pleasure of holding toddlers and babies for the past few days since we are currently hosting the very best granddaughters ever in the whole wide world. And before anyone objects, I will grant that you are allowed to have your own very best granddaughters in the whole wide world, even if they're not as very best as mine. Sometimes, when I talk to a baby... I tell them that they're in charge, or I ask them permission to get a cup of coffee or something like that, and it's, it's all a little humorous because everybody knows that the babies aren't in charge and I don't need their permission to do anything. But when Simeon is praying this prayer, he's totally serious. He declares that this infant has the power of life and death over him. More, he confesses out loud that the child has the power of salvation. In fact, he says the child is the power of salvation. You and I don't worship a baby. Jesus isn't some static infant icon, an inspirational baby statue to make goo-goo for God. He has grown up and become strong, filled with wisdom, and he has gone to the cross and died for your sin. And something that no other baby or grown-up could ever do. He's risen again and ascended into heaven to rule over all things for your good forever. Among the blessings of that news is the best, that he is your salvation who will deliver you to heaven on his own coattails, cleansed and enlivened by his blood. That is why, as many rise and fall because of this Savior, When you depart this world, you will depart in peace. Our liturgy does you a great service there. After the supper, you sing the Nunc Dimittis, Simeon's song. You sing, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. It's an outrageous and beautiful confession of faith that you just held the same flesh and blood that Simeon held in the temple, albeit in with an under bread and wine, because your Savior has visited this temple for your salvation. It's also why the dismissal at the rail goes, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in body and soul unto life everlasting. And then it concludes from Simeon's song, Depart in Peace. Now, while the focus of this text is on Simeon and, of course, Jesus, we ought not forget the women, Anna and Mary, Joseph takes the place of many the father of a newborn, obscurity. The reason it's been 40 days before the family comes to the temple is not because of Jesus, but because of Mary. 
The law in Leviticus 12 says that a woman is unclean for 40 days after giving birth to a son, and the offering of doves or pigeons is for her cleansing. Now, it sounds like adding insult to the injury of childbirth, but the Lord is always teaching. For instance, a woman is not saved even by the miraculous work of bringing more life into the world, nor by the shedding of her own blood. So Mary arrives at the temple according to the law, and she's met there by Anna. Anna's life has been far different. She once married, she lost her husband after seven years, and she has lived as a widow to the age of 84. She is a prophetess, says our reading, and she certainly is that day. She comes up to them and gives thanks to God and speaks of Jesus to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem because the Redeemer is born. Anna only gets three verses. I'd love to know more. It's frustrating to me that we don't hear her words. What we do know is that she is one of the saints around the throne. The griefs and the hardships she suffered in her long widowhood are replaced now by everlasting joy. And this is so because of the baby in Simeon's arms. She too has departed in peace, for her destination is everlasting life. A final thought. Mary and Joseph have come to the temple to offer the sacrifice to redeem the firstborn. As Simeon holds Jesus in the temple that day, it's only fitting if in the background you can hear the bleeding of sacrificial lambs because Jesus comes as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, Christ has come to bring peace to you, peace between you and God at his own cost. Again, the wonder of all these Christmas texts is that the Lord does not forsake sinners, but becomes flesh to save them. If joyous texts like these warn against any sins, they are the sins of failing to care that the Lord has so humbled himself to save you, and then failing to care that you don't care. The more you examine yourself against God's word, the more you will see how undeserved this is. And the more you will examine the frailty of your flesh, and the more you will see how necessary this is. Ponder in awe the word made flesh, and then depart in peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.